This is the Nebraska Greats, a weekly podcast as a service to the Nebraska Greats Foundation, which serves former collegiate athletes facing medical needs and financial challenges. Your tax-deductible contribution will change the life of a former college sports hero. Please give online at negreats.org. And now, here's your host, Brett Wetton. Welcome to the Nebraska Greats Foundation. I am your host, Brett Wetton. It's a pleasure to be here again. The Nebraska Greats Foundation, we are family, and we really mean that here. And so we are a nonprofit organization that raises money and awareness for any former letter winner from any of the colleges or universities in the state of Nebraska. Um, there are really three ways you can help us. One is, you know, donate. And there are a lot of great charities to give your money to. And if you think uh, this is a good place for your money, please donate to us. It is a, a tax a deductible uh, contribution. Secondly, we do share a lot of content uh, on social media. Please pass that content on to your followers. That really helps bring awareness to this. And lastly, and most importantly, we are always looking for applicants. So if you have a former teammate, you have a former friends, family members that have too much pride to ask for help, and they have a medical slash financial need, you can send them to me. You can go to anygreats.org. Uh, please reach out to us. We have a very short application process, and we uh, we are ready. We, we stand ready to help in any way that's needed. And so, just before I introduce our guest today, um, I also want to give a huge shout out to Two Brothers Creative, uh, Matt Tompkins, and today we have Matt Stein. Matt, thanks a million for taking the time to produce this for us. It's really, really, I think, helps uh, bring awareness to to our cause. And so. Without further ado, I would like to introduce to everyone Ricky Simmons. Ricky, how are you? I'm doing great, Brad. How about yourself, young man? Hey, I'm doing well, baby. I'm doing well. And, um, you know, Ricky, uh, just to kind of, if I were to give you an introduction, there's so many things we could speak to, but, you know, uh, I know you as a uh, former wide receiver at University of Nebraska Lincoln, a former Husker, a great Husker, and then you then you went to the USFL and then you had your shot in the NFL before things moving on to, to other things in your life. And so you're from what, Greenville, Texas. Is that where you're from? Yes, I'm from a little small town called Greenville. It's about 30 minutes east of Dallas. Ah, okay, excellent. And Ricky, you and I have gotten to know each other over the past couple of years through the Nebraska Greats Foundation. And I don't know, man, there's just something really special about you. And, you know, I was reading a little bit of a background um, on you, and there was a quote from your dad that said, my dad used to tell me that I'm a million-dollar guy, but I didn't really understand that. And I think as I see your life from afar and as I've got to know you personally, I, I see I see that what your dad sees in you. And it's just I really appreciate you coming on today to kind of walk in and walking us through through your life, okay? Well, I appreciate it being on, and uh, and thanks again, Brett, for everything you guys are doing as well. No, we just had a successful golf celebrity outing, the Tom Dinsdale Celebrity Foursome there at uh, Riverside Country Club, and you were there. And then the night before, we had an evening with Tom Rathbun, Grand Island native, who went on to have a very, very good career at the 49ers and then a long uh, coaching career in the NFL. And so was that fun to be there, Ricky, catching up with everybody again? You know, it was really good to see, especially Tom in particular, because I haven't seen him. Man, I don't remember the last time I saw him. We might have even been teammates at Nebraska. So it was good to see him. But it's always good to see everybody, man, because we're, we're living in such unique times. You know, it's always a pleasure to see yourself and all the other guys, man, that are doing something for a great cause. I mean, I think that's the most important part for me. No, it's fantastic. Again, we thank you publicly for coming out. I think it really helps us. And so, okay, let's dive into this conversation we're going to have here today. Um, I really kind of broke it up to three buckets. And 
Um, the first is kind of your life growing up in Greenville, Texas. You know, we're both from really small towns. And so I, I can imagine what it was like, but I'd love to hear that. Then we're going to kind of move into your time in Nebraska with Coach Osborne and your experience with football. And then I really want to spend a little, maybe a little bit more time just talking about everything that happened from there and what you're doing now, because I think you have such a wonderful story of redemption. I think for all of us, right, we, it's a story of redemption and different levels and and you just have a great story, so I want to get into that. So, Thank you know, you. yeah, Ricky, so let's let's just start, man. So, Greenville, uh, Texas, man, w- walk me through your childhood and what it was like growing up. Well, you know, what a lot of people don't know about me is uh, I was actually born in a town called Tyler, Texas, but uh, I was uh, adopted when I was four days old by Clyde and Bertha Simmons, who uh, lived in Greenville, Texas. So that's how Greenville became home. I uh, grew up in a small town and, and it was, uh, wasn't a lot going on, but you know, we would always uh, get out and find open space and play, whether it be sandlot football, whatever the season was, basketball or baseball, we, we did everything. Uh, be honest with you, growing up in this town was kind of different because back then, you know, things were a lot different than they are now. I mean, we, the integration thing, for example, uh, I was a, in the first grade, I was the first class to go to school in a mixed class, you know, okay. so it was just kind of a lot of tension, uh, racism, you know, whatever you want to call it, it, it did exist. And uh, I saw it firsthand and, you know, but hey, I, I had two very educated people that I call mom and dad, you know, both school teachers, master's degrees. So they were very educated and they taught me how to carry myself and they taught me how to look at people. So I treat people the way I want to be treated. I I don't expect it in return. And that's the the key to my success when it comes to dealing with people. I understand everybody's got things going on that I may not be aware of. So I try to be respectful of that. And at the same time, I try I always respect myself by giving them space if I need to. No, I think that's, that's, that's really interesting. And I, I didn't know this. And so, so being the first class being integrated into a mixed class, like for a better term, I guess. Um, uh, did you see the good in it? Did you see the bad in it? it? Was it? Was it? What was that like? I mean, none of us have really lived through that, right? Well, it was. Uh, it was very uh, tense. Is the best word I can use for it. Uh, a lot of people didn't want to be around me because of the color of my skin, which is fine. You know, uh, the good thing for me is, and it's still true to this very day, my parents instilled high self esteem in me. So uh, I was able to look at people that didn't like me and be okay with that as long as they kept their, their hands to themselves. So, wow. you know, it's just, it is what it is. I mean, I, I try not to sugarcoat things because people can see through that. So I tell people the truth and then, you know, take it for what it's worth. Well, and your parents are teaching, uh, you know, what Dr. King talked about, right? You, you, you judge a person by the character, not by the color of the skin. And so, you know, and I'm sure there's no doubt that that you've carried that throughout your entire life. And I think it's, um, you know, again, a great part of your story. And, and um, okay, so let's, let's move forward from that, I guess. So the first class integrated. So what grade was that for you? First grade. So first grade. Yeah, first grade. So, so over the years, as the years went, came, came along, let's say you're, you know, a sophomore in high school, had that tension reduced some, had it kind of worked itself out? Was it worse? Was it better? I mean, what was your well, account of it? You know, the good thing for me, uh, I, I, I got kind of, I don't know if tricked is the word, but I got persuaded to, to get into sports by my father. And uh, that took away a lot of uh, 
uh, what we call the, what do you call it when when you have time, wasted time, or you have time on your hands with nothing to do. And uh, I basically played sports all the time. So by me playing sports, what it did do for me was it, uh, it allowed me to find something creative and positive to do with my with my downtime. So I mean, besides school, you know, I kept playing ball. And once you start, and you know this bread as well as me, once you start performing in an athletic arena, people tend to respect you just on on that alone. You know, you, the skin color thing kind of goes to the background, and that's you know, and that's kind of how I made my niche was through sports. No, very interesting, and you're, I think you're right about about that and how sports kind of levels it right or wrong. It does kind of level it to, to some degree. And so, you know, for me, for example, basketball was my first love. I love playing football, I played football for a long time for you. It was football, your first love. Was it not? Um, walk me through that. Well, actually, to be honest with you, football was not something I'm even, I was ever interested in. It was just a deal in the fifth grade, me and my dad made, and I kind of got carried away. You know, I, fifth grade, I was trying to get this bicycle. I didn't know how to ask for it. So my dad goes, hey, uh, you go out for the football team and, I, you know, and I'll, I'll get you these little things you think you got to have. Well, fifth grade, I'm trying to get this bicycle, man. So, <laughs> so I got the bike and then, you know, come to middle school or junior high, we called it. Uh, all the gr- I realized that all females weren't bad. So I wanted a girlfriend, but I ain't had no game. So I ended up playing football to get the newest clothes and I adjust my walk a little bit. And a couple of girls thought I was cool. So I got a girlfriend, you know, then 16, you get the driver's license. And uh, definitely didn't know how to ask for what I wanted then, but I went out for the high school football team and I made the team and my dad stayed true to his word, bought me a brand new car. Yeah. I love hearing this, this relationship you had when his name was Clyde. Is that what you said earlier, dad? And I just, I just love hearing that man. Cause it's, uh, there's so many kids that don't have a father. I didn't have a father growing up. So to hear to hear you talk about this is pretty cool. So let's skip forward then. Let's go to junior, senior year of high school. Uh, were you recruited by Nebraska, other schools? Uh, did you just flourish? Were you a wide receiver in high school? I don't even know the answer to that question. No, no. Actually, I was a running back all, all of my uh, football days growing up. Until my junior year in high school, we had a running back that was really highly recruited. Uh, he ended up actually going to Texas Tech, but he was a year older than me. So he was our starting running back, and um, they put me at defensive back. And you're looking at a guy that don't like football and don't like contact. So it was kind of interesting to uh, to be out there, and they expect me to go run and tackle people, and I did not even want to be touched. So it, it was kind of interesting. But at that point, you know, to be honest with you, you know, with everybody that's listening, you know, that's when I – started indulging. Um, I started indulging in drugs and alcohol because I was just trying to get through it. And I was really not too concerned with getting scholarship offers or nothing. I was just trying to keep my new car. So I, you know, I kept playing and, and it got kind of got crazy there for, for a couple of years. And do you think that was, so was that kind of an aversion to the contact and the, and then that part of it, or is it just what would you, how would you classify that? Just this is what you wanted at the time, and that's just kind of where the wind was blowing, Ricky. No, Brad. To be honest with you, man, I I just didn't really like football like that, you know. Okay. But it was just a method that I used to get what I wanted, and okay. and I can honestly say today, that looking back, uh, God just blessed me with athletic ability because I wasn't that guy that worked out. 
you know, I didn't train all summer in the Texas sun like everybody thought. I mean, I just, I could just do it. I don't even know. Play. I, yeah, I could just, I mean, it usually took, from, from what I can remember of it, it usually took one good hit. And then, you know, some guy standing over me running off at the mouth talking about how tough he is and how, how rough it's going to be for me. And that usually clicked something inside me. And I'm like, okay, now I don't like football, but I never said I was a punk. So, okay, game on now, you know, and that's how it, it would always happen. Okay. So, so the recruiting side of high school then, so how, how did it all work out to get in a, to, to end up in Nebraska? Well, this is a funny story. Uh, my senior in high school, they put me back at running back and, uh because of my fear of getting tackled, I led the state of Texas in rushing after 10 games. And um, I, when I led the state of Texas in rushing, my quarterback who came to Nebraska as well, his name was Nate Mason. And Nate Mason was offensive player of the year in the state of Texas, and he was being highly recruited too. So Nebraska, you know, when they showed up, I wasn't really even interested in them. I didn't, actually didn't even know where it was located. But um, I was a big Oklahoma Sooner fan. And I wanted to go to OU. So Barry Switzer was at the house, you know, and saying everything I wanted to hear. My parents weren't so impressed, but, you know, but I was. And then doorbell rang and this tall redhead man standing there. And I had no clue who he was, but, you know, I was nice. And um, I basically shut the door in his face at first because I misunderstood him. I thought he said he was from the University of Alaska. So, you know, they... I told him, I said, man, it's snow up there. I ain't going to be able to do all that. So, But my mom ran to the door, and he was still there, and she invited him in. And my parents, being both school teachers with master's degrees, Coach Osborne being you know, the doctor that he is, you know, he, he knew what to say to, to interest them. And when it's two against one, you know, I lost that one. And your first impressions of Coach Osborne, who now is a, a very dear friend of yours, oh, um, what was that like? Well, my first impression was, like I said, I thought the dude was from Alaska. So, I, I really, <laughs> what's he, oh, hold on, Ricky. Once he came in the door and he sat down and started talking, did you remember any impressions of him well, at all? Or I didn't. I didn't really like him very much because he wasn't offering me anything that I wanted to hear. You know, I mean, okay. I, I was eighteen. I, you know, I was kind of very materialistic. I really wanted some things that you know other schools were offering and. Only thing he really was, you know, he really didn't talk a lot. My mom did all the talking because him and my parents had already worked the deal out before <laughs> I was the last one to know. You know, I was the last one to figure out that Nebraska was my my place to be, you know. And so I really didn't know him that well. I mean, I heard him talk, but he was just very nonchalant, and, you know. And my, my mom's like, well, baby, you know, they're, they're not going to buy you this and they're not going to buy you that, but, you know. Um, you're going to have to play on a freshman team. And, you know, it was just very, I was like, man, wait a minute. I'm the leading rusher in the state of Texas. I'm supposed to be, you know, I'm supposed to come in and be the man. I don't know about no freshman team or, or playing no, you know, less a backup role to anybody. So it was kind of, it was kind of unique, but, you know, I can honestly say sitting here now, it was the best decision that I never made. Oh my goodness, man. Okay. So I did not know this. So, the decision was pretty much decided then for you. Uh, you. You guys wrestle it. You and your parents wrestle it out, and then you show up in, Nebraska, in Lincoln, Nebraska. You know, what were your first impressions of a place you you know maybe didn't want to be? Well, when first, you first arrived. 
Well, since we're being honest here, I mean, when I first yeah, no, I want you to be honest. I love this. This is excellent. When I first showed up here, I was so messed up. I I could have been in Alaska. I didn't know where I was because my goal was to be so messed up when I show up here that they would send me home because I I didn't want to be here. But uh, what happened was they as soon as I I got here, they took me straight from the airport to the stadium, and uh, I kind of freaked out because you know in Texas we don't have basements. So I got on this elevator and the elevator went down. Scared me. I'm like, hey, man, what's wrong? How are we going down? We already on the ground, you know, end up in front of the equipment manager and uh, put me in turf shoes for the first time in my life. And they told me I had to run a 40. And I'm like, dude, I'm not in position to run anything right now. I'm, I'm you know, I'm kind of messed up here. Right. And um, but I walked out the tunnel walk. And when I walked onto the turf to Memorial Stadium for the first time, the turf and the turf shoes. They, you know, it was like Velcro and I wasn't used to it. I always played on grass. So being drunk and high didn't help. And then I, when my feet hit the turf, I fell. And I fell right in front of the Omaha World Herald and a, and a Lincoln Journal Star New, uh, sports writer. And they started laughing at me. And then they, they made, the one of them said to the other one, was like, man, they went to Texas to get this guy to help us beat Oklahoma. He can't even walk. And I heard it and I got offended. So I got up, I ran a 40. And they got all quiet and told me to go running again. I ran the second one and they shook my hand and said, Congratulations, you're the fastest wing back in the history of Nebraska football. So, I mean, I. Something clicked inside of you, like, hey, these guys are sitting there talking trash and yeah. I'm not going to stand for that. And that engaged you. Yeah. I mean, I've always been that way. I mean, I, I, I don't know what that is or what that's about. It's just like I can be the nicest guy in the world, but I know in my heart I'm trying to be nice to people. Man, don't be rude to me because I ain't, I haven't done nothing, you know, and, and it brings back the childhood memories of, of racism. Oh, Ricky. Okay. And so you just light up the turf. I mean, you hadn't run on turf before, and here you are, the fastest thing back in the history of Nebraska. Yep, my first day here, and don't even, you know, I mean, I was so and you, messed up. And you were messed up. Okay. Uh, it's just, I just, I just, okay. So let, let's fast forward a little bit here into your college career. Let's say that's uh, junior, senior year. You know, what is your, what, how did it gone thus far? And I don't know your playing career as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, do you have some highlights from it? Uh, moments you loved? You could be highs, could be lows. I mean, I think, well, I think I mentioned all of it. Well, I'll say it this way the whole experience was great because of the people that I met. You know, the teammates that I have, a lot of us are still very close to this very day. Um, I, you know, I had the, the pleasure, especially my senior year. Well, I mean, the whole career was, I mean, I had amazing guys on the team. Like, I can list a, a, a ton of guys, but the ones that stand out in my senior year would be, uh, you know, Mike Rozier, uh, Irvin Fryer, Turner Gill, you know, Dean Stein Cooler. I mean, they called our team the scoring explosion. I mean, we were like, 12 and 0 number one team in the nation for 12 straight weeks and we went down to miami for our third consecutive orange bowl and we went for two at the end against miami and we missed it but the thing i i think what i like about it the most was because we were winning i was willing to sacrifice statistics i mean i know what i could do athletically but we're winning so there's no reason to go, hey, coach, what about me? You know, I did make the, the one joke of the first game of the season. I, you know, Irving, I think, scored twice. Mike might have scored three times. Irving, uh, Turner, you know, maybe scored. 
And then he said, first team out. I'm like, coach, what about me? He said, well, we'll try again next week, Ricky. Well, I heard that for 12 straight weeks, you know, because those guys were putting up such big numbers, which is fine. You know, I wasn't, you know, and they were my friends, you know, but I mean, my friend list is really, really deep. I mean, you're talking Tom Raffman, you're talking uh, Roger Craig, you're talking Mark Shaleen. I mean, dude, the list just goes on and on and on. I mean, we had some, we had some very good athletes. So the fact that we were winning, I just basically, I became a, uh, I took pride in blocking as a wide receiver, which is pretty much unheard of in today's game. But I, I really spent a lot of time blocking for Irvin and blocking for Mike. Uh, I always kind of enjoy crackback blocks because I get to get the linebackers and before they could get up and figure out what happened, I would be standing behind Dave Remington. And <laughs> I, felt, I felt pretty safe standing behind Dave, you know? No, he's one of the greatest centers to ever play the game. And, and um, okay, so we're going to move forward just a little bit out of that then. So clearly you were very good at your position because you were, did they draft you in the US, USFL back then? How did that work? Well, after we lost to Miami, that uh, after that, you know, that national championship game, two days later, the Washington Federals drafted me, uh, fourth player in the fourth round. And uh, I wasn't even anticipating playing pro sport. I actually thought football was done, was over with. But, okay. then, you know, and then they, I started looking at contracts and start, you know, the money part. And I was like, well, I don't like football, but I, for this kind of money, I think I can play a little bit longer because USFL was given very nice contract, very generous contract. So okay. I got drafted into that league. And as a rookie for the Washington Federals, I started 18 games. But after the first game, I picked up an addiction that I didn't even know I was picking up. What was that, Ricky? I, I became addicted to cocaine, free baseball. Okay. Didn't okay. even know it. it was addicting, period, because I had never done cocaine or nothing in college. So I just, you know, I, I would do it and play football and do it and play football. I mean, I didn't think nothing of it. And then after my first year was over, we had a really, really poor record. I think we were, guys, if I, I'm guessing, I'm thinking three, we won, out of 18 games, we won three. So I had three and 15, you know. So the guy that owned the team sold the team to Orlando, Florida. We yeah, became, okay, okay, yeah. yeah. We became the Orlando Renegades. And after that season, I mean, I used drugs all through that season. And after that season, the league folded because we tried to go head up and change. You know, we used to play from January to June. We tried to play at the same time the NFL, and it, that didn't work out. TV rights and all that stuff got involved, so the league folded. Well, I got free agent picked up by Atlanta Falcons. And before I could even play one game with the Falcons, my addiction had, I mean, uh, it just took over my life. Uh, it convinced me that football was actually getting in the way of my, you know, using. So okay. I, I had to make a choice. So I chose to use versus playing football. So I basically walked away from the NFL and um, I quit the NFL to be a full-time drug addict. You know, Ricky, I, I get goosebumps. Um, I've had goosebumps all morning just thinking about uh, this, this conversation with you because um, you know, this is, this is now kind of this change has happened in your life at this point. Cause you'd kind of mentioned this in your bio and then, and then, you know, that you're going to move into these other things that are going to come that, you know, for a lot of us, like, man, these would be really, really hard things. And then there's this wonderful thing that happened. And so, you know, walk us through. So cocaine usage takes over your life. You, you walk away from the NFL. I mean, what, I mean, what, what happens? I mean, what, where did it go? And let's, let's talk about, I think what maybe uh, is maybe the most important part of your story. 
okay. and a part of who you are as a person. Let's walk through that. Well, basically, uh, after I walked away from the NFL, I went through a 25-year active drug addiction. And during that 25 years of drug addiction, I mean, started off at about $1,000 a day. Okay. First five, six years. Uh, and it just it just kept going. It never stopped. Uh, now, don't misunderstand me. I was getting in trouble left and right. Uh, I can't sit here and, and count the times that I've been to county jails. But I basically went to kind of sum it up as I went to, I went from the NFL to the penitentiary four times. And uh, yep. I actually uh, went to 10 treatment centers in the process as well. And I graduated actually nine of those 10, uh, but never had a desire to quit. It just, I mean, they locked me up. Whenever they let me go, I go right back to doing what I was doing. I mean, I had no desire to quit using drugs. Uh, I don't even know why I was using them. I mean, it wasn't like I was having fun. I was just, I was caught in my addiction, I guess is the best way I can describe it. Well, one of the quotes that stands out to me, and again, I just can't reiterate how, how uh, the goosebumps I get from this. There's a quote that says, I, I had lost everything. My parents were both in heaven and everything I had was gone. And I can't help but think, just because our parents have such a huge effect on our lives, right. That, that had somewhere that had to be be going on in the background through all of this. Would you say that's that's kind of, am I kind of on the right yeah. path there? Well, you know, I, see, the thing is, my parents didn't drink or smoke or anything. So I, I had no excuse to blame my, my behavior or my actions on. I can't, you know, a lot of people that are in addiction, you know, first thing they say is, you know, I, my dad was a, was a drunk, my mom was on drugs. So I don't have that story. You know, I didn't grow up in no projects. I mean, I had a very nice home. I mean, so I guess the thing was, once I got started, it showed me just how powerful addiction is because it's like, for no reason, I'm just doing this. And um, I didn't, like I said, with no intentions of ever stopping. And I, I, I realized that running in and out of prison, running in and out of prison, that didn't, that didn't deter me from wanting to use. Uh, it took losing everything. And, and I think the final straw was losing my parents. You know, yeah. when I lost both my parents, I went back to prison again. So after they died, and then, it, it, you know, then that's when things kind of started to turn around for me while I was in there that time. Okay, so in that last, the last round in prison then, um, you know, I, I've, I'll ask a question. Like, what, what is the question that no one asks about prison that, that, that we should be asking? I mean, I, I have no clue. What's it like or what, you know, how would you answer that question? Well, what do you mean? What is prison like? Yeah, like just what's the question about prison that people should be asking and no one ever asks you? Well, you know, a lot of people don't understand the fact that you lose your freedom. You know, like I think we take freedom for granted. That's just my personal opinion. I know I did. Uh, just simple things like uh, being able to walk out out your front door or out your garage to just to go outside. In prison, man, they got to open that door for you or you ain't moving, you know, and it's just, and then all the stuff that comes with it. I mean, uh, I like to eat what I like to eat. Prison don't, you know, prison, they don't have no, uh, they're not taking orders or they're not, you know, you can't door dash a meal in the prison you know you, you eat what they give you whether you like it or not you know and it's stuff like that and plus there's a lot of people in there in a small space so people are you know 
People have other issues going on. You know, maybe a guy didn't get a visit or maybe a guy got served some papers, divorce papers, or he get a letter saying that his wife is, or girlfriend has moved on. I mean, so now you got to deal with that. So one thing about prison, it's not as bad nowadays from what I, you know, because I still communicate with a lot of inmates. I write letters to a lot of inmates all over the country. But the one thing I've noticed is they've cracked down since I was in prison on the fighting. So you used to fight all the time in prison. I mean, that was that was a, a daily occurrence. You you know, it wouldn't be wouldn't be a big deal to have a fight in prison. And everybody in prison understood that. So no one would sit around and watch the fight, like, you know, to make a scene out of it. Right. Matter of fact, they do just the opposite. They turn their back and kind of shield the guards from you so y'all can fight, you know. And that was the thing that, you know, uh, that really, I mean, I, I'll be honest with you, I'm not a tough guy, but I'm not afraid of anything. So fighting was really easy for me, especially with my upbringing, you know. I, so I didn't it, didn't, it didn't bother me. But at some point, you know, you got to do something different. And that's, you know, that's what kind of clicked for me this last time. Okay. So, so would you say then, okay, your parents pass, you're in, you go to prison and you just walked us through what that was. And, and, um, and you've now, would you say you've, you were at the bottom then of everything and that kind of started your ascent now to come out of it? Well, you know, I can't really say it was quite that simple because see a lot of times I don't mean to, I don't mean to oversimplify Ricky. I'm just saying, I'm just, no, yeah. I'm going to say it like this, you know, in prison, uh, what's the best way I can describe? See, a lot of people begin become depressed or become, you know, whatever I see. I, I never was suicidal. Now I might've been homicidal, but I was never suicidal. You know, My, right. I never wanted to hurt me, but I would hurt you if you, you know, approach me wrong. And that needed to change. And um, so one day I was playing chess. Still can't play to this day very well, but I was playing <laughs> chess. And this guy had been beating me for like six months and uh, really kind of got my attention because one day I, I read, I, I won a game of chess. You just thought I made parole or hit the lottery. I was like, yeah, <laughs> man, I knew I could beat you, you know, just competitive. And, um, uh, I go, yo, man, where you from? You know, he's like, yeah, I'm from Omaha. I was like, really? I said, yeah, well, I'm from Texas, but I live in Lincoln. When you get out and I get out, man, I'm going to drive down to Omaha with my chessboard and I'm going to beat you again. And he's like, that will never happen. I was like, well, set him up again. I'll beat you today. And I went to my cell to get some coffee. And when, when I was in my cell, my cellmate was in there and he goes, yo, man, you know that dude you playing chess with every day? I was like, yeah, what about him? He goes, you know why he's here? I'm like, I don't care why he's here. I'm not doing his time. I'm doing my time. He goes, you might want to read this paper. So he threw Omaha World Herald at me. And um, I summarized it just for time purposes. But basically, this dude was doing what I used to do. He was doing cocaine one night with a female. And uh, they ran out of drugs. I guess he gave her money to go get more, and she didn't come back. So the next day after he sobered up, he saw this lady mid-afternoon with her teenage daughter and he walked up behind him and poured gasoline on both of them and set them on fire and killed them both. Wow. wow. So he's doing double life plus 300 years. That's what he meant by, I would never beat him in Omaha. He's still there now. He's not going to bow. Wow. Die there. So, you know, and then about that time I was like, Oh my God. And then this little guard used to pick on me every day. I don't know why he picked on me. I guess he didn't like Nebraska football or something, but he was like, what's up inmate Simmons, former Husker superstar. And he just always was juking. I was like, man, what do you want? And he goes, you got mail. And when he said that, Brett, I freaked because 
My parents were both in heaven. They were the only people that would write me or come and visit me or send money. So, I, I mean, I'm not getting no mail. I ain't getting, no, I ain't getting nothing. So you're talking about I got some mail. I thought he was juking at me, you know, trying to be smart. So I was like, you know, today is your day, dude. You're winning. So I, I started going toward him like I was going to do something to him. And uh, he threw the letter under the door and ran, which was smart on his part because I was, I was, I was going to go there. And uh, so I, for some reason, though, I can't explain, I stopped, picked this letter up because my celly was getting mail pretty regular. So I figured he had got another letter. So I was just going to put it on his bunk. But when I bent down to pick it up, I looked at it. It had a red N in the corner. And it, I was like, Nebraska Athletic Department. I was like, oh, man. Then it was addressed to me. Like, oh, my God. You know, man, I don't know if I know I'm here. And then after a couple of minutes, I opened it up, and it was a paragraph. It said, uh, Dear Ricky, I know your parents believed in you. I believe in you. And up on your release, if there's anything I can do to help you, feel free to contact me. It was signed Tom Osborne. And right then and there in my prison cell, I fell on my knees, and I turned my life over to Christ. Uh, I'm a yeah. man today because of that. Yeah, I mean, I'm just completely moved by that. And uh, we know Coach Osborne, you know, the, he talked about the three-legged stool. I don't know if he talked about it back then when he was coaching with you, but, you know, uh, you know, he's been a father to so many folks. I've had the pleasure of getting to know him as well. But, you know, in that moment, you read that, and just all of a sudden like that, it's just a something changed, something switched. Yep. Right? That's just, like, just fantastic. Yeah. I, I, uh, I got off my knees. My thinking started changing. I wrote down three things that I still live by today. I share it with people when I do my speeches all over the country. And the first thing is PMA. It uh, stands for Positive Mental Attitude. It's real simple. It just treat people the way you want to be treated. But the key to that is do not expect it in return. And what I mean by that is you may say hello to somebody and they may look at you like you didn't even say nothing to them. You can't get offended by that. You just got to smile and say to yourself, wow, it just sucks to be them because they must be going through some terrible things. And then being humble. Um, I think being humble is probably the most important part of my life right now. I'm always being very humble because I understand that life is not my life. I'm going to speak for myself. I can speak for everybody else. My life did not come with a contract. I'm not guaranteed to see tonight, tomorrow, none of that. So I, 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 I'd be real humble and I, I appreciate everything I have. I take nothing in this world for granted. That's why every chance I get to do stuff like for the, with the Nebraska grades, so that's why I do it. Because to me, it's better to give back than always be expecting stuff. The second thing I thought about or I wrote down was a plan. My plan was real simple. I'm going to get out of here one day. I'm going to go back to school and become a licensed drug and alcohol counselor. And I'm going to become a motivational speaker. And the third thing is you're going to need some motivation for them first too. And I choose to call them haters. I think everybody on the planet got them. Matter of fact, if you got some, you, if you know some people that don't have nobody to hate on, tell them, feel free to hate on me. I mean, I use it for inspiration. I love haters. Uh, a lot of people don't like them. I love them because they keep me inspired. And from that point on, I've been doing what I do. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's really amazing. Uh, uh, that PMA that's just, and, and again, I, I got exposed to you back before I met you in the Brad Grace Foundation, because you'd have, a, you'd get your happy on. Yeah. And I just always brought a smile to me. And uh, <laughs> I just, you know, and again, when we, when we end this here in about, we've got, we got a few minutes remaining though, as we end this, I'd love for us to do a little get, get your happy on, but um, and I didn't, I didn't, I didn't set it up for music or anything like that, but we get our happy on. And uh, I just think it's just such a contradictory a message and signal to the world. And because and, this world's hard, I don't care who you are, where you're from, which background is money, no money, 
right. you know, skin color, any of that stuff, right? It's like, it's just a hard world. And that's how, and that's why I wanted to bring this uh, Nebraska Greats podcast to you because it's such a great story. But I, so, so, so walk me through, give me some highlights. So you get released from prison. I, I, I'm sure you went and spoke with, you know, Coach Osborne and then you, you just step by step, man. You're just working your way into this, these roles, right? Yeah, walk us through that. Basically what I did when I first got out Coach Osborne was still the athletic director at Nebraska at the time. So I came, I got out, I went up to the stadium, and uh, that was a long walk, by the way, to walk up those stairs and go to his office. And, and sure enough, he, you know, his secretary told me he's waiting for you. You know, so I went in there, and man, I was not in a good place, but I, I was, you know, I was, I was uh, hopeful. And so I said, well, you know, he goes, Ricky, how may I help you? I said, well, I got an idea. Uh, if you'll you know, if you'll help me with that, then I'll be, I think I got a chance. And he goes, well, let me hear it. So I told him what I basically told y'all, I want to become a counselor and I want to become a speaker. And but I said, I have no credibility. No one's, you know, no one believes in me. I mean, four time ex felon, who, who, who's going to believe me? He goes, uh, well, I like your plan and I believe in you. Like I told you in the letter. And he said, um, you tell him I'm backing you. And if anybody ever asks you for a reference, you tell them I'm the only reference you got. And I was like, well, you are, <laughs> you know. So uh, that's what I did. And um, I went out and I did the footwork. I mean, I made a list of treatment centers and made a list of, of schools. I mean, and I just started reaching out, cold calling. Hey, look, do you guys allow speakers? While I was taking my class to become a counselor. And then a few people that did give me opportunities, you know, they were skeptical as like now. I see where you've been to prison because I was being honest with people, you know, and they're like, well, well, who's backing you? And I say, well, Coach Osborne. And they go, oh, well, what's your availability and what's your fee? You know, and then from there on, next thing I know, I mean, 12 plus years later, I'm still traveling the country, man, speaking to youth and adults, going into churches. I tell people, though, I, I always warn people, I am a speaker. I am not a pastor. So, I mean, now when I go into a church, yes, I speak. Uh, I have a G-rated version of my presentation. When I'm in schools, I have a PG-rated. When I'm in treatment centers or prisons, I have an R-rated version. I have to meet people where they are, and I'm, you know, I'm very good at it because I've been in all these situations. I mean, I understand. So, like I said, I'm just a spiritual man that's trying to help as many people turn their life around, especially the ones that are dealing with addiction, because society seems to focus more on the negative than the positive. I just want to spin it around. That's where Get Your Happy On comes in as well. No, I, I love it. And so as you, okay, so there's just so much to talk about here. I wish we could keep going. But um, so uh, when you got licensed as a drug and alcohol counselor, and you went through that, mind you, you've lived that life, and now you're going through the formal education of it. Did some lights pop on for you? Like, hey, well, maybe I know what I'm doing here. This is why I was doing it. Or did that help you? Well, it helped me. It helped me relate to it a lot better than most people. And I'm not saying people that haven't been through it can't help you. I'm not saying that. But it's like, for example, when I would see clients, which I don't see anymore now because I focus more on the speaking. But when I would see clients, they could relate a little bit better. Just like in my speaking, when I speak to certain groups, especially uh, addicts, they they know just by the, the choice of words I use and, and, the, and the topics that I talk about, they know that I've been through it, you know, and sometimes it's like anybody else, you know, when you're when you've been through something, 
you're and you see somebody come out the other side and have a chance at this thing called life, people are more receptive to that to that person than they are to a person that's read a bunch of books and got a lot of education, got a lot of you know, we call it wall material like plaques and degrees, yeah. but you have you never drink a beer. So you you know, a lot of people that are in recovery, they're looking for excuses not to change. So when you come in and they ask you a simple question like, Hey man, you ever use drugs? And you say no then automatically they cut you off in the mind thinking you can't help me if you have never been through what I've been through. That's right. You have the street credibility and actually living my life. And so, well, okay, let's, let's just, as we get ready to kind of close this, um, Ricky. So I believe you have a book out. Yes, still, I'm still waiting. My, you have a book out, don't you? I have two of them. Yeah. I'm still waiting for autographed <laughs> books. I, I gotta, I gotta bring them to you. So you, maybe you'll sign them for me. I got you know, I got the cover, Brett. You do. I know, Ricky. I know, baby. Um, and and so two books. Uh, and then what else do you have going on? I know you're I know I met a couple of your partners and, you know, yeah, um, yeah. Know with WMK, they're doing a documentary on my life. It's titled Look Like Somebody. Uh, we we've got the trailer finished, but we can't publish it right now because of, uh, you know, legal stuff. We're trying. We're in talks with Netflix and uh, Amazon. So we're trying to sell that. Uh, we also have somebodygear.com, which is a, a, a shirt, a clothing line with shirts and sleeves and headbands that we, we sell that, sell those and the five bucks off each purchase goes to the Malone Community Center. So youth football program, we're trying to help underfunded youth athletic programs all over the country is our goal. We started with the Malone Center. So we're working, we're building that up right now. And just uh, we're just staying busy, man. Uh, I've got a, Matter of fact, I got a speech coming up here in about what's the day? The first, second of August, uh, about second, yeah, about two weeks at the Stevens Center here in Omaha is a homeless shelter. It's going to speak to the entire community there, and excited about that. And then I got to head back to Texas, do a lot of traveling. So, and then uh, I think we got to go. So I got to go to Tulsa, playing a golf tournament for Children's Hospital. It's former Huskers against former Sooners. We raise money for the Children's Hospital down in Tulsa. I stay busy. I mean, I'm I'm always doing something. Like I say, today I'm in Omaha at WMK. I live in Lincoln, so I'm I'm always moving, man. I mean, which is I'm not complaining because it could be worse, you know. And like I said, I'm basically Brett. To be honest with you, I'm a, I'm gonna close with this. I'm just trying to put some positive in the world because negative is being covered quite well without my help. And that's why you know, every one of my videos that you say you like to get to have you on, that's why I always end it with every day you blessed to see is just another day in paradise. Get your happy out now. <laughs> Ricky, I tell you what, what a pleasure. Look, we love you, man. We, uh, uh, I just can't thank you. I just can't thank you enough for coming on and sharing your story. I, I think there's just something so refreshing about the vulnerability you have about your experience of what it was and what it wasn't. And you're helping so many people, bringing a message of positivity to the world. It's, it's counter to what I think culture really espouses these days. And, and you know, and it's also in parallel with our, with our Redeemer, right? And, and Jesus you know Christ. I, and yeah, it's just awesome. I will say this right quick too. I mean, I give God all the credit because I start my day every day at 3 a.m. by turning my life over to Christ. I drink coffee out of a prison mug and I do a set of spiritual readings. Uh, a lot of people don't understand that, but see, that's the whole key to this thing. I'm not trying to make you understand everything. I'm just trying to encourage you to figure out your way. And, and the last thing I have to say is this. 
you really do have to understand that what I'm trying to do makes it, uh, it's, it's very unpopular. It's not going to get you, you know, if you're trying to help people, just know this is for people that are out there trying to inspire others like I'm trying. Don't expect a lot of credit. You're not going to be on the news. You're not going to be uh, headline stories because people, negativity sells way better than positive. So do it from your heart and know that you're helping someone maybe improve their life. And that's your reward. That's very well said, Ricky. And on behalf of the Nebraska Greats Foundation, we are very, very, very fortunate to be uh, uh, um, involved with you and everything you do for us. And, and we support everything you're doing on your side. And, and that's it from the Nebraska Greats podcast. Ricky Simmons, what a wonderful, wonderful podcast. Nebraska Greats Foundation, anygreats.org. We raise money and awareness for former letter winners from any of the colleges or universities in the state of Nebraska that need help with a medical or slash financial need. Uh, obviously, Rick, Ricky, could you just give us your, your website again and maybe the name of your books? Could you just do that, do a shout out for us? Yes, my first book is uh, called Explosion of Redemption. Uh, and the second one is 365 Days of Redemption. It's basically like a journal style book where I give you a positive quote for day one, and then you got room to journal under it, and it goes day two all the way through 365. Um, I'm all over social media. Uh, I have a public figure page is Ricky C. Simmons on Facebook. Uh, Instagram is Ricky C. Simmons and at Twitter is at Ricky C. Simmons. But WMKmedia.com is how you can reach the people that I am partnered with that, that do all of these, see all this beautiful setup they got for me. I mean, they, they, they're, and they're the ones that's also making my documentary. So if, got, if anybody has any video needs or advertising, WMKmedia.com. Yeah. I met those guys at uh, the the Tom Tin Tinsale uh, golf right. outing. Yeah. Right. yeah, Walton Murphy. Yeah, and yeah, um, yeah. Walton Murphy, they're good people, man. Right, and and just I guess the quote to end off on here is Maya Angelou once said, she said, "Good done here is good done everywhere." And I think Ricky, you've done good here today. You're doing good, good in a lot of different places, and that's good for everywhere, everyone on the planet. It's good for everybody. So, with that being said, we're signing off, Ricky. Thank you for your time. Thank you. I have a great day. Thank you. This has been Nebraska Greats, a weekly podcast serving the Nebraska Greats Foundation. You can find each episode on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Play, and anywhere you get your podcasts. Please give generously to serve Nebraska's former sports heroes in need at anygreats.org. And be sure to follow the Any Greats on Facebook and Twitter.